Yeah, let's pray. I'm going to pray by reading a psalm. These are the old uh, prayers of the Hebrew people. And this one I want to pray with you is Psalm 23. So these, these words may be familiar to you, and we'll just let the word of God be a part of our prayer this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for, him, for his name's sake. And the, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God, our good shepherd, we come to you now praying that these moments could be um, what you desire for us to be. Green pastures, still waters, restoring, restoring our souls. Some of us have walked through the valley this week, but you've been with us. You never left our side. You prepared tables even when we could see our enemies. So thank you, God, that surely, surely, surely your goodness and your mercy are following after us right now in all the days of our life. And we get to be with you forever and ever. Teach us today, we pray, God, through your holy word, through the presence of Jesus and your Holy Spirit. Help us to be open to what you want to say. Cover us with peace or give us feelings of discomfort if that's what will push us on to the next thing. We pray that our encounter with you this morning would be a way of experiencing hope and healing and becoming more whole people who follow Jesus. Surely, goodness and mercy are following after us right now, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you. Good morning. My name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thanks for being here. It just feels good uh, to be in the house of the Lord and, and be with you. Uh, some of you guys were here on Thursday night. I can still kind of feel the spirit and the energy of Thursday. It was a, a night that we uh, welcomed Corona Baptist Church to join us in worship. Uh, they're kind of a sister congregation to us, and their pastor, Bobby Sanders, preached the message. Uh, but I wanted to tell you about it tonight because we celebrated uh, embarking on a new initiative called the Ready Initiative, which is something that Wilson County Schools is doing with churches through a group called Everyone's Wilson. And so we were a part of starting Everyone's Wilson. Uh, we've hired a full-time uh, a, a staff person for Everyone's Wilson and the Ready Initiative, Christina Hitchcock, who is one of our own here. And... Um, I wanted y'all to know about it specifically because uh, this church uh, gave $180,000 to seed this partnership between churches and schools. We did that in 2020. Anybody remember 2020? Uh, so uh, we had some delays and some obstacles, but starting in the next few weeks, we will be piloting with 14 schools in the Wilson County School District and the Lebanon City School District 
a school with a church or multiple churches or, and businesses that will come along a school and be with the children. So these children that uh, walked through just a moment ago, we get them an hour or two here every week. But next door at Rutland Elementary, they get them all day, five days a week. And so we want to be where, the, we wanna be where our children are and we've been given that open door. So Corona Baptist, that's what that picture is. Uh, Corona Baptist and, and Providence Church are partnering with Rutland Elementary. And the folks on the stage, you see there are some of the staff from Everyone's Wilson. Uh, but second from kind of the left there is Phyllis Robinson, one of our church members, one of the great educators of Wilson County. She is our leader at, Wilson, uh, at Rutland Elementary. And then sort of next to Liz is a lady named Larisha, who's from Corona Baptist. She's their leader. And the church is, we're coming together to love the children of Rutland. So our hope is when they turn 18, they know that they are valued by God, that God has a plan for their life, and they can live into the dream that God has for them. So um, we are going to become readers and mentors and partners with the school. And you can sign up for that this morning. We'd love for some of you. That's on your heart. I can see some of your faces and you're like, I need to be a part of that. Um, we need you. And there's a training that will be at the, Bre the Bridge Fellowship on February the 3rd. Uh, it's going to be a really, really uh, beautiful thing. So I just wanted you to know about that. That's bonus material uh, for today. Hopefully, did some of you guys get this journal coming in? Uh, we're starting a new thing. I'm going to tell you a lot about it, uh, a study of the book of John. So it's just a way of uh, kind of taking notes. You're probably going to like fill this thing up with the sermon this morning because it's so amazing. So uh, this, I just wanted you to have the, have the journal there. I, I wrote a book last year and I'm really excited about it. It'll be in bookstores everywhere this summer, which means Amazon, because uh, there's no bookstores anymore. But I've, I've been wanting to write this book for almost my whole ministry. So I've written a lot of short books that very few people have read. But this one uh, is one that I've, I've really poured my heart into. And it's called Breaking Open, How Your Pain Becomes the Path to Living Again. And y'all have heard everything in there. Y'all have heard me heard me say. But I'm bringing it up because when you write a book, you have to get someone who will want to publish the book. So anybody, you can write a book, but is someone going to publish the book? And so to get a book published, you have to write a book proposal. And in a book proposal, you kind of try to spell out how you think, how you're, you haven't even written the book, right? Like, I'm going to write this book. I think it'll be really good. I think I'm cut out for it. I'll pull it off. And this is most important. They're wondering, is anyone going to read this book? And what are they going to get out of it? So my book proposal for my book, Breaking Open, I wrote a 12-page book proposal because I so much wanted to write this book and wanted it to get into uh, the hands of, uh, of people. And so I poured myself into it trying to say, this is what I think will happen. This is what I hope will happen if people read the book. So what we're doing today, this is the thing we're doing, is we are going to start the study of a book. And the book is called John. Uh, or the gospel according to John, which just means the good news about Jesus according to someone named John. Now, this book was written a long, long time ago, close to 2,000 years ago. And most people think, there's some discrepancy on who they think may have been the author of the book, because it was 2,000 years ago. It's sort of hard to figure out. But most people think, and reliable sources would say, that the book was written by a guy named John who self-describes himself in the book as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So one of the people that walked with Jesus. Most people think that the book was written around 90 AD, so it's really old and it's really close to the time that Jesus, it's a very important, significant book because it was written very close to the time that Jesus actually walked the earth within the same generation or within one generation. It could have been written by someone who saw uh, Jesus. And the reason I'm telling you all about that is because John, who wrote the book, gave us his book proposal. 
He gave us his reason for writing the book. I don't know if you're as excited about this as I am, but I think this is fascinating that we actually know why John wrote the book. And so what we're doing today is we are starting with John chapter one, verse one, and it's my plan for us to study the book of John every week. I think it's gonna take us till November, okay? So this is different than what we've done before. We might have a little... Uh, series here, series there. And so I'm inviting you into exploring what it would be to look at sort of a definitive expression of who Jesus was that becomes a foundation for the Christian faith, the book of John. And we're going to study it week after week after week. That's why we're giving you the journals. We're going to do this every kind of, we will have some series around it so you can take this. I'm hoping some of you will say, I really want to get to know Jesus in this book and you can keep these hole punch. I mean, they think of everything, right? And you can take notes. And by the end of this, you could have studied the book of John. I'm encouraging you to read your Bible, to read John, maybe multiple times during this. If you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch out in the lobby. You can, you can just grab a Bible that's sitting in the lobby. So don't set your Bible down in the lobby, okay? So if the Bible in the lobby is free game today, all right? If you see a Bible, you grab it. If, but seriously, if you want a Bible, we have, some, we have some out there for you. But John tells us why he wrote the book. It's not just some old story. Like John was a real author, an intentional author. He had a purpose for it. He had something that he wanted to communicate. So we're going to start by skipping all the way to the end of the book of John so you can hear what this is all about. So in John chapter 20, verse 30, he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. When John says sign, he's talking about a miracle. John uh, puts like pillars throughout his story, seven miracles. He tells the story of Jesus using things that happened through Jesus that can only be explained through the power of God. Seven miracles are all throughout the book of John. But he gets to the end and he says, Jesus performed more miracles than those. There are more things that Jesus did which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31, he says this, but these are written. So he put those things down specifically, intentionally in that place, in that order, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John tells us why he wrote the book. He wants us to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, the Son of God, but not just believe, but by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote his book so that we may believe in Jesus and in believing in him, have life in his name. So when it gets to be September and you're like, why are we still studying John? I'm tired of John, week after week of John. We're gonna remind each other. It's so that people can believe that Jesus is the son of God, but not just believe that when they believe in him, they will have life in his name. So everybody in here has life. Praise God that we're here, we're, we're breathing, but he's saying there's a, there's a life that I'm gonna talk about within the pages of my book, a life in Jesus' name that I want you to experience. Belief has consequences. Say that with me. Belief has consequences. Everything you believe leads to a result. It will lead to something in your life. When you believe in something, it leads to something else. Every belief you have leads to a consequence in your life. Last Saturday, I went over uh, to visit my, uh, one of my oldest friends, Dave. He was my college roommate. We've been friends for a long, long time. 
And I was going to see him because when we were 18, 19 years old, this football team came into our town and we love this football team. And we've been watching this football team. We've been to games. And so if you're a Titans fan, just take a deep breath. You'll get through this story, okay? So I went over to watch, it's okay, Keith. I went over to watch the game with Dave and he didn't, ha- he didn't have to tell me how to dress. I knew how to dress. I wore all my Titans gear. I showed up, Dave's in his Titans gear. His 11-year-old son, Garrison, meets me out in the driveway. He's dressed like Derrick Henry. Garrison looks the opposite of Derrick Henry, okay? He's like an 11-year-old, skinny little kid. And I, I got out of the car and I said, Garrison, who is going to win today? And Garrison said, the king is back. The Titans are gonna win. Because Derrick Henry is called King Henry. He was so confident. I was so confident. And Garrison and I watched that game together. I'm serious. Like we stood almost the whole time. My buddy Dave, he's made more money than me. He's got this huge TV. And so I'm standing in front of the, this huge TV. That's why I went over to his house. And um, I'm like standing with Garrison the whole time. We're arm in arm. We, we were fist bumping. We, I would say, who's going to win, Garrison? He said, the Titans are going to win. There were moments we were jumping up and down. Garrison would do push-ups during the commercials, and I tried to do it with him for like one quarter. I don't know why, but we were just so pumped. We were loving it. And then the end of the game came, and we lost. And so Garrison was crushed the consequence of our belief that that was going to happen. I showed up believing the Titans were, were, were going to win, and I had a more than probably is reasonable amount of disappointment when it happened, when they lost. And Garrison's like, what? He's like a son to me, you know? And so we're sitting there. I didn't just leave him. And he said, he said Jacob, we were the number one seed, right? And I was like, yes, my son. <laughs> he said, um, I mean, he understands the ins and outs of it all. He's like, we had a first round bye because we were better than everybody else. We got to wait. We were arrested. We got King Henry back. And he asked me, he said, has this ever happened before? I said, yes, my son. <laughs> so when your dad and I were in college, the year 2000, number one seed, first round bye, we lost. He's looking at me like, how come you didn't tell me? <laughs> and I was like, 2008? Before you were born, man, number one seed, first round by me and Miss Rachel, we were there. It was a Saturday night. We stood, we cheered, we had the blue towels, and then all the blue towels were on the ground. (laughs) And I told that boy, that young young man, I said, if you're going to believe in the Titans, there is going to be consequences. (laughs) Can I get an amen? All right, let's move on. Every belief you hold has consequences. Every belief you hold will lead to something else. It will lead to different results. If you believe the Titans are the best, you're going to be really disappointed this afternoon when this lady's chiefs are playing, okay? If you believe the stock market will never let you down, there will be consequences to that. If you believe that every day is a new opportunity, that's going to affect the way you look at your day. If you pour into your kids your belief in them, I have a daughter right now who's playing volleyball in Birmingham. I I texted her and I said, I believe in you. I believe in you. And and, and that's going to have consequences in her life if her dad knows, if she knows that her dad believes in him. So everything you believe will lead to a result. And John says, I'm writing this down. And the reason I'm writing it down is so that you'll believe that Jesus is who I saw he was. He made the claim. And I'm telling you, he's the son of God. But I don't just want you to believe. I want that belief to lead to life in his name. 
You see, guys, that's what we do here at the church. That's what, that's what this is all about. Not just being alive, but being alive in him. Being alive in the name of Jesus, it means something. It has consequences. And so we're gonna pour ourselves into the word of God because we believe it's not just an old fairy tale. It's not just something that was written down a long time ago. We believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're gonna give it our all. We're gonna pour ourselves into it. And I know you can tell I'm excited, right? Because I've got this feeling that there are gonna be people who don't believe in Jesus right now that at the end of this do. You understand that not everybody believes that Jesus is the son of God. Not everybody does, but we do. And John says, in encountering this living word, people are going to believe that he is the son of God and they're going to have this life in his name. There's somebody in your family who's going to believe. There's somebody that you work with who's going to believe. There, there, there's somebody that you're praying for who's going to believe that Jesus is the son of God. And it's not just about a big belief party. It's that it's going to lead to the life that they've been longing for. It's going to lead them out of the darkness. It's going to lead us out of the, the pressure and the push down and the despair and the chains. There's something that happens in the life in Jesus' name that nothing else can touch. So I need you to hold that for me, okay? I need you to hold that for me that when we get to September and, and I'm like, oh man, John again, you're like, yes, Jacob, John again. The purpose is that so, so that people would believe and have life in his name. So if the purpose statement of an intentional author is very important, another thing that's probably equally as important is the introduction, how he starts. So this isn't a haphazard writing. We know that John has a purpose in writing. So how he starts his book is very important. And here's how it starts. John 1 verse 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This sentence is a theological explosion. <laughs> 17 words that this is theology 101, like everything you need to know to understand this. And if you study it your whole life and mine the scriptures, you'll never come to the depths of this 17 word, 17 in English word line. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when you read that, your first question, our first question should be, what's the word? And the word, word here, John writes in the Greek. So the word, uh, word in the Greek is a Greek word. Um, it's not super important that you remember it, but it's, it's a word uh, that is pronounced logos or, or logos, okay? That's the Greek word for word. And, and so it, it, it means that it's a speaking word. It's, a, it, it's giving a reason. It, it, it initiates discourse. In the beginning was the word. But you can look at this. And if you read any more sentences in John, you will know very quickly that what John is saying about the word word is a name or a descriptor for Jesus. It's very clear that what John is saying is he says he's using the Greek word logos word to, to put in the place of Jesus. So we can read this and think in the beginning was the word logos, Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God. And then he lights the fuse on the stick of dynamite. And then, and it says, and Jesus was God. <laughs> Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He goes on to say in verse two, he was with God in the beginning. You're like, you just said that, John. He's like, yeah, I want you to make sure you get this. Verse three says, through him 
all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. There's nothing created that was not created through him. He is saying that Jesus was not only there in the beginning, he was not only with God in the beginning, but he is the one through, him, through whom all things were created. What John calls Jesus is the word. So if you're like me, you read that and you're sort of itching. He's like, in the beginning was the word. You're itching to get back to Genesis. What happens in the beginning? Does anybody want to guess what the first three words of the Bible are in Genesis chapter one? I'll tell you, in the beginning, the same three words. John is clearly making a connection from the very beginning initiating story to what's happening with Jesus. Here's what it says. Genesis one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God is in the beginning with nothing, darkness. So how does God create? And God said, verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. How does God create? With his word. How does God get it all going? He speaks. He says, let there be light. And there's never been a thing called light and there was light. But if you read through Genesis chapter one, the way that God creates is through his word. Everything, it's spoken. He says, let there be sky and let there be ground and let there be waters and let them teem with fishes and let there be vegetation and let there be winged birds and let there be animals. And then we're looking forward to a moment. It's verse 26. He says, he says, he says, let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. All of it happens through speaking. And John is saying the word that was spoken in that moment is the Logos. It's Jesus coming out of God's mouth, creating in that moment. And you read this sentence, you're like, wait a second, what? What are you talking? Look at the pronouns, guys. He says, let us make humans in our image. What's happening here? God is letting us in on this secret that it's not a singular God. It's God the Father, but it's also this God, the Spirit that was hovering over everything, and God the Son, the living word, Logos. Jesus is there in the very beginning. John says that the word was creating in the beginning. The word that created in the beginning was the same Jesus who walked and talked with us. It's an explosion. <laughs> Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made. So back to John, all right? So flipping all the way back to John, back to verse four. He says, in him was life, Jesus, the word. And that life was the light of all mankind. What was the first thing created? Light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, there's darkness, there's void. What did God speak? Light. Jesus was the word that spoke it all into being, and his being brings a light that no darkness can extinguish. So we think, I think, all week I thought, wow, it's cosmic, right? It's grand, what a, what a vision, you know, and, and you struggle, our minds struggle and expand, it seems, to grasp this triune three God, the Father, the Spirit, the Son, creating their very voice, creating everything into existence. And John opens up this mystery. He gives us a clue. He's stepping us into it by calling Jesus the Word. He is the creating Word of God. And we want to stand and gaze upon the majesty of our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are in heaven around the throne and angels are circling saying, holy, holy. 
holy, holy. But John says, wait, wait. I have something more to tell you about this grand God. And in John verse one, uh, uh, chapter one, verse 14, he says, and that word became flesh and dwelled among us. I don't know how, sorry, I'm really excited. I've never been more excited to, to preach. I don't know how to describe this. Jesus was there in the beginning, and he's the one who can say light even before light exists. And that word became like us. That word moved in next door. This is the distinctive of Christianity. Other world religions have gods who sit on thrones in far off places with thunder and lightning, and sometimes they provide benevolent care. But our God is saying, I have become like you to come where you are, to walk in your steps. This is how John describes it in verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father, he was with God in the beginning, has made him known. God has become made known to us in Jesus, the Logos, the word. Eugene Peterson translated it this way in his translation, the message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is just the introduction. <laughs> but I do want us to kind of hold on to a few things before we go. Jesus was there in the beginning. That means Jesus was there in your beginning. Um, Jesus is an intentional initiator, creator, author, and so um, our author has purpose. And so your beginning, what I'm trying to say is Jesus is not coming to meet you today to get acquainted with you, to find out what's going on in your life. He's there in the beginning. We believe that God knit you together in your mother's womb, which means you are endued with purpose in the womb, in the very beginning. And so Jesus is not just someone who shows up in, uh, you know, they, in, in zero AD or whatever, you know. He's there in the very beginning. He's there in your beginning. And that is very important. If Jesus is the author of our faith, then there's purpose in everything you're facing. I'll say that again. There's purpose in everything you're facing. July 15th, that was the day I was turning in my manuscript for my book. July 15th was my due date, Larry, from my publisher that I had to turn in. I was finished. I was looking over the manuscript. I was about to hit send. And on that day, July 15th, I was stung by a wasp and I fell on the floor and had a seizure. And I, and I stepped into a season like I had never experienced of pain. And what I learned in that time on the path, I just wrote a book called uh, How Your Pain Becomes a Path to Living Again. And I thought, I know nothing about that, and now I'm about to learn. And what I learned is that there's purpose in everything, that there was, there was purpose, God-given purpose, and even in my struggle, even in my pain, even in my loss. And I understand that's sort of a theological tightrope you have to walk when you're like, whoa, what are you saying? I mean, you're saying God causes all this stuff and I have pain. I'm saying there's purpose in everything because the word was with God and the word is God. And Jesus created everything. And we are not living in a time without purpose, okay? Um, 
you're, you're going to hear at sometimes that, the, that life is meaningless. It's without order. It's without purpose. It's not true. This is no joke because Jesus put on flesh, meaning he has experienced the depth of everything I experienced and everything you've experienced. Jesus became flesh. Jesus is with you in your flesh. And I mean, like flesh, it's like even a word, it's like, oh, I don't even really like saying it. I don't know why. It's like really fleshy, you know? But I think that gritty kind of word is given to us in this moment. So we don't just think Jesus is our buddy or Jesus came and sat down next to us. Jesus became like us. He put on our skin. He put on our flesh. Think about how your flesh feels sometimes and the pain you feel and the agony. Jesus knows the full extent of that. One of Rachel and I's dear friends, uh, a mother to us in Murfreesboro when we were in college, passed away this week, and it was too early, and it wasn't the way any of us had hoped, and we groaned all week, you know, like in our flesh. We could feel it in our flesh as, she, as her earthly flesh went away, and I was reminded of, of a scripture that says, meanwhile, we groan, like in this world, in this flesh, we groan in the midst of things because we're longing for our earthly tent to be replaced by a heavenly dwelling, the scripture says. And so, I'm bringing that up to say all this that I'm, that I'm trying to give to you in this moment is to give us a picture that, that it's not just flesh because Jesus became flesh. There is a spiritual nature to who we are and what Jesus is inviting us into through the resurrection. I know that's kind of a big cosmic thing, but it means everything for your life right now in your flesh that Jesus became flesh, that the son of God, did not consider equality with God something that he was just gonna hang out on, but he made himself like us and he lowered himself to the place of a servant and knew death on the cross so that one day every tongue could confess that he is Lord, meaning everyone has access to life in his name. Life in his name. I wanna to read to you a scripture from Colossians. And we're gonna do this throughout this series to show connections through the other places in scripture to what John is talking about in his book, okay? This is Colossians chapter one. Listen to how it sounds like John. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He was there in the beginning. For in him, all things were created, just like John said, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul says he's before all things in the beginning and in him, all things hold together. What does that mean? There's purpose in, in what's happening here. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased, listen friends, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, the stuff you see, the stuff that's given you pain or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The world can seem meaningless at times. Our struggles can seem outside of what our minds can grasp. They can seem without purpose, but it's not true. 
The truth is we have an intentional author, beginner, creator who holds all things together and he's over it all, guys. He's over all the rulers. He's over your boss. He's over my boss. He's over the people that are giving you a headache, the people you can see and the invisible, the spiritual forces, the evil, the demonic stuff that's coming against us. And God was pleased to have all of his God fullness dwell in the flesh of Jesus Christ. He was pleased to do that. He was pleased to send him to our world to move into our neighborhood and dwell with us. And that means Jesus coming into the world, coming into the pain, makes a path for us to live because he's not just the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn through his resurrection, which means there's no pain that can touch us, no death that we can face that his resurrection cannot conquer. And that means, yes, Jesus is with us. And if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, that belief will hold consequence for you. If you believe, you will have life, life in his name. Amen, amen. Let us stand and worship the word made flesh, Jesus Christ.